Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sunday, visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. All right, let's grab a seat and uh, we'll jump into the Word this morning. Great to be with you all. Um, We're still in the book of Genesis, but we're getting closer to the end. And actually today, we're going to move big picture all the way from Genesis 12 to Genesis 50 and talk a little bit about um, the faithfulness of God. What I want you to do now, though, is if you would turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15 and chapter 50 and just kind of hold that place. Just hold that place and uh, we'll spend some time in there together. Um, And while we're doing that, I'll pray for us. Lord, we uh, we thank you that we can come to you together as a gathered community, uh, hear from you, uh, meet with one another, meet with you, hear your words of encouragement, your, the, the life and truth that comes from you. So open our ears and our eyes and our hearts, Lord, to receive what you have to give to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we've been in Genesis for maybe four, or five, almost six weeks now. You remember Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the first part. Starts in the garden where we watch humanity, whose origins begin in this really beautiful place uh, that's good and it's full of relationship with God and community. And God is creating a good world full of harmony and beauty and potential. And humanity is there as these image bearers, these co-creators and um, co-vocational rulers of the garden that God has said it's good. And he says over and over again, everything is good. But this beautiful place full of goodness and shalom quickly spiraled downward towards destruction. In Genesis 3-11 through talks about that. We've been over that for the last four weeks or so. Sin and destruction enter. And this good place is replaced with evil. And the story follows humanity's rebellion against God and what's taking place. The struggle that ensues. And so what we see is this, this human-wide, humanity-wide rebellion. And then there's, in the end of Genesis chapter 11, this humanity-wide destruction with the flood. And then this whole rebellion continues. And the first part ends with this Tower of Babel, and the rebellious humanity is scattered on the earth by God. And then all of a sudden, very end of 11, In the beginning of 12, the story zooms in on a single man and his family, Abraham. And God calls him to follow him. He says, Abraham, follow me. And he promises Abraham that it is through him and his offspring, through him and his family, that God is going to make everything new again. He's going to bring goodness back against the evil that has taken place. And God is going to bless the entire world through Abraham and his offspring. See, God's plan to rescue humanity and bring them back to the goodness of the garden and this redemptive history that's going to, or this redemptive act that's going to take place, curiously, is going to take place through this 
man and his family, his descendants. And so God, who commits himself to Abraham in chapter 12, which we've gone over for a while, and, and they talk about the blessing, God is committing himself to Abraham so that God can save the world, make everything right, make everything good, restore the shalom that was lost in Genesis chapter 3. And that's why it's so important that Abraham believed God, that he obeys God, that Abraham's family believes God and obeys God also as we move through the story today. And that's what we saw in part last week when Matt shared about Abraham who was tested and he was called to take Isaac up and almost sacrifice him. Because what God is going to do is God will use Abraham and his family's involvement in this process of redemption. And we're going to see a pattern emerge through the story today of humanity doing evil, humanity being unfaithful, and God doing good in return because God is faithful. So let's zero in on the story again, zoom in on this family of Abraham. We're going to just take a quick snapshot once again at Genesis chapter 12 because it's so important that we get this. This blessing from God to Abraham and to his descendants is the, it's really the key point in the Old Testament on through the entire Old Testament into the New Testament, which we'll actually talk about at the end of our time today. Because it's impossible to exaggerate the significance of the promises made to Abraham. It's the same promises that Paul talks about in the New Testament. The same promises that, that apply to all of us here today. So the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So what does God promise to give to Abraham there? He's going to give them a land. He's going to make them into a people. And he promises his presence. Those three things. Those are three things that we need to kind of see and understand as we move through the entire New Testament, or Old Testament is certainly into the new. That ultimately is what the kingdom of God is about. It's about the new heavens and the new earth being reconstituted through that promise. So God wants to give Abraham a land, make him into a nation, and he wants to be with him. In simple terms, God is restoring humanity back to the goodness of the garden, to his original intention for the world. It's like his rescue plan for humanity, and that's why this whole second half of Genesis is about this one family. Part of the problem, though, is that Abraham is just a man. He's just a human. He's flawed like each one of us. So what is going to happen? That's where we find ourselves today. So big picture, once again, we have Abraham, right? He's now married to Sarah, and he has a son, Isaac. And Isaac has a son, Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and, and God renews to each generation, as we go through parts of this story today, to each generation, God renews his promises to each generation to bless the nation, to bless the world through them. 
And if we just look at this, it might be easy to think that because of this promise from God, we can just read these stories and think, oh, I'm just going to be a good person, I'm going to live a good life, and I'm going to attain the blessings of God. But actually what we're going to see today is Abraham and his family, is, are, they're totally dysfunctional. They, they are the epitome of a dysfunctional family. They're full of fear and deceit and collusion and murder and all sorts of things. And it kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? If we look back through the Old Testament, God uses imperfect people to do His perfect things. It gives me hope to think about that. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a dysfunctional family. I might have been the king of dysfunction. Might still be, who knows? The thing is, is what I know is God's promises are still true. And we're going to see that over and over today, that despite the unfaithfulness of humanity, God's faithfulness remains true. And He remains true to His promise. So the storyline continues from Genesis 12. Abraham sets out on this journey, and there's a famine in the land at that time, it says. So Abraham heads down to Egypt. And the first thing he does going into Egypt is he lies to Pharaoh. Because his wife is beautiful. He's got a hot wife, guys. Just saying. And he knows that if someone sees her, he's going to be killed because they're going to take her. So what does he do? He pulls Sarah aside. You know what? You need to tell everybody. We're just going to tell everybody that you're my sister. How many guys in here are married right now? Okay. How would that go over if you told your wife when you're going to meet someone, I'm just going to pretend you're my sister today? Wouldn't go over too well, would it? Ladies, would that go over well? Young men who maybe aren't married but maybe want to be married? Don't do that. I'm just saying. Okay? It's not a good thing. So they say this, and the Lord doesn't like this. He doesn't like deceit. He doesn't like being, having, his, having his guy in the middle of telling these lies. So all of a sudden, the Lord turns things around, and, and Pharaoh and his family and his household, they start having all these weird things happen to them. They get plagues, and they get boils, and, and all sorts of bad stuff happens to them. Inflicts serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household. It says, so Pharaoh throws him out of Egypt and he heads into the desert region and a few years have gone by. So big picture again. And suddenly it says in Genesis 13, Abraham is very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. So what did God do? He is already starting to build up, right? His promises through Abraham. Here's Abraham, he's pitching his tent in the desert, he's encountering these Canaanite kings, he's winning battles against them, continuing to amass wealth. Wherever he goes, he's building altars to the, to, to the Lord, trying to remain faithful to God. And in the midst of this, he's continuing to do bad. He's lying to people, he's making bad decisions, and all the while, Abraham finds himself in the protection of the Lord. 
And then we get to this interesting story in Genesis 15. So open up your Bibles now, and we'll read through that together, and it's probably up on the screen behind me as well. It says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a dream. Abraham, before he was, before God renamed him, was Abram. So we're talking about Abraham. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and your very great reward. But, Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took Abraham outside and he said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. In other words, you can't count them. So shall be your offspring. And that famous verse that is quoted throughout the New Testament as well, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. And notice what Abraham does or did to gain right relationship with God, with Yahweh, with the creator of the universe. He simply, simply trusts God. He simply believed God. Next part of the story, he said to him also, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And so the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, and along with a dove and a young pigeon. Ho! Oh. Wouldn't you love to have someone say, hey, Donald, bring me a heifer. You ever, who grew up on a farm? I know a few of you did, right? So you know a heifer is like a, it's a young female cow that hasn't given birth. So that's what a heifer is. So he's asking Abraham to bring something of value to him. And then he asks him to do this strange thing. He asks him to cut him up, cut him in half and lay him out. So he cuts them up and he lays them out. Abraham brought all these to him and said, cut them in two, arrange the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Makes sense, right? Isn't a whole lot of left of a bird if you cut it in half. These aren't like the big Costco chickens here. These are, these are little tiny doves. And Abraham brought all these to him, and he cut them in two, and he arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds he did not cut in half. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. It's funny, in, in the Hebrew language, the word for kind of driving them away is pfft. So he's shooing these birds. Pfft, pfft. He's walking around doing this. This is Abraham. Must have been tiring work. I don't know why, but it says, As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. So who do we remember in the story that we've been talking about in Genesis so far that also fell into a deep sleep? Adam, yeah. So the storyteller of Genesis is re, reinventing kind of this story. He's retelling the story in different ways by using these key words and these key points. And it says, A thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then it says, Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. 
But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards I will come out with, they will come out with great possessions. Okay, so pull back again. What just happened there? The writer of Genesis just kind of sh- he foreshadowed something for us. He shot an arrow forward. So he's shooting this forward to when Egypt is the slave masters over the people of Israel. Hundreds of years later, he's, he's given us this foreshadowing because he wants us to understand the importance of Abraham in this biblical story. He wants us to see how these things are woven together and with these key words and references, he's linking all these stories together and over and over these small stories are woven together to make this big story, the big story of God. So verse 15, to Abraham God says, you however will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. It's the Canaanite people of the promised land. And it says, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. So we got these dead animal pieces. We've got Abraham laying on the ground in a, in a, in a dream. He's deep sleep. And he sees this smoking fire pot and this blazing torch pass through these pieces. Now that's not something you see every day right now, is it? I have never seen that. Have you seen that? No, we haven't seen that. We probably don't even understand what's going on here. What's going on here, though, and the author actually knows exactly what's going on here for us. Because he knows that as he's writing this, we're wondering, what is this? What is this smoking fire pot and this blazing torch all about? And he says in verse 18 what exactly it is. He says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land. That's a covenant with him. The Lord made a covenant with Abram. He made a binding promise to Abraham that he would be faithful. So this covenant is some kind of an ancient ritual. We know this through other historic texts, through other parts of the Bible, through other ancient Near East texts that we've written. And so, for instance, two kings, they're warring against each other. They share a border. And one king decides he's going to run over and attack this city. And, and, and he's attacking the city, and then the other king says, you know what? We need, to, we need to make a peace treaty. We need to have a truce here. And so they come together and they cut up these animals and they lay them on the ground and then they walk through these animals together saying, may this, in other words, may what has just happened to these animals happen to me if I attack your city again. I'm not going to do it. Right? They're making a covenant with, with, with great cost to themselves. That's what's happened here. In other words, I'm going to swear on my own life. May this happen to me if I don't do what I say I'm going to do. And notice who is it that is walking through these cut pieces of animals in Moses's or in, in Abraham's mind. It's God. Do you remember another place in the story shooting another arrow forward? 
where God is leading, God's image is a, is a, is a cloudy, smoky shape by day and a pillar of fire by night. Remember that in the Exodus story? How God led the people through the desert? This is an image of God. So Abraham knows what he has seen go through these animal parts, cutting this covenant, is God. God himself is going through the, the, the cutting the covenant with, with Abraham. And, and notice on whose faithfulness does the promise depend? It's God's. Because Abraham isn't walking through there. God is saying, I'm going I'm to make a covenant with you, and it doesn't depend on you, it depends on me. On whose faithfulness does it not depend? Abraham's. Yours. Mine. God is saying, what I say I will do, I will do because of who I am. Not because of what you have done, or what you do. And that's an important concept that we see all the way through the Bible. So God's made this promise to Abraham, and God has cut a covenant with Abraham, and God has followed through with everything he has declared he will do with Abraham and his family. And yet, the whole cycle of unfaithfulness versus faithfulness continues. And this time, it happens to be Sarah. Because Sarah is the one who says, Lord, where's my, where's my child you promised me? And they're old. They're, they're getting on in years. I mean, they're, they're pushing into a century old, 100 years. So, so, so Sarah comes up with this plan to, to, to bring her, her servant girl, Hagar, and have her sleep with Abraham and have a child, and that child becomes Ishmael, and that creates all sorts of families, uh, family problems. All sorts of dysfunction jump out of that. Another thing that is not a good thing to do, guys. Okay? Just saying. Sarah gets impatient. Ishmael is born. Sarah's thinking that since she isn't able to have children yet, she can use Hagar. All these problems ensue. And once again, the same problem happens with Abraham. He lies about who Sarah is, this time to this guy named Abimelech, who's going to reappear in the story a little bit later. And Abimelech is told that Sarah is not his Abraham's wife, but his sister once again. And this cycle continues. They get into trouble, they do evil, they cry out to God. God responds in being good. Because humanity continually acts in unfaithfulness to God, and God always acts in faithfulness to His humanity. It's really evil versus good. It's a reoccurring theme in Genesis. We saw it in the garden, right? Back in good verses. There's a tree of no, the knowledge of evil and good. There's evil acts that take place that take out the shalom of the garden. So back to the story. We see Abraham and Sarah, and they're really old, and they're wondering, hey God, are we ever going to have this child like you promised us? And then miraculously they do, and his name is Isaac. Abraham's a hundred years old, Genesis says. 
Isaac is born. And Matt shared about Isaac last week in Genesis 22. So in Genesis 21, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, not because of what Sarah had done. And she became pregnant and she bore a son to Abraham in his old age. And at the very time God had promised him and Abraham gave him the name Isaac. And when Isaac, his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. What does that tell us? God is faithful. God is faithful. He followed through. Despite the unfaithfulness of Abraham, despite the unfaithfulness of humanity, God is always faithful. But the reality is, and what I take hope in, is the struggle is real. The struggle is real. It's hard to be perfect all the time. And Isaac, soon in the story, marries this person named, this woman named Rebecca. And unbelievably, he goes to Abimelech and tells Abimelech that Rebecca is his sister. And you would think that Abraham would say, Son, I've learned a few things over the years. One of them is don't tell your people that you're going to get stuff from that she's your sister. It doesn't work out well. And yet he does it. Fathers, tell your sons about this. Okay? Eventually, Isaac and Rebekah have two sons, Esau and Jacob. And for a while, it looks like things are going to go pretty good. Then Jacob, the younger brother, decides he wants the family inheritance from Esau, the older brother. And so he devises a plan with his mother in deceit to do a couple things. One, to steal the birthright. The other is to steal the family blessing. And the end of Towards the end of Isaac's life, there's this picture of this old man who's blind, and he's laying on his bed, and his younger son comes in and deceives him on who he is and steals this blessing. So we have deceit and lying, and we have stealing. We have all these things going on in the midst of this, in the midst of this story. Because the struggle is real. And even through the dysfunction... God repeatedly reaffirms His promise to bless the world, to bless the nations, to bless His creation through this family. Because that's always been God's intention. The story goes on, and Jacob, whose name is now Israel, and he marries two sisters, Leah and Rachel, and the same cycle of family dysfunction takes, repeats itself Jacob goes on to have 12 sons, and those 12 sons, as we mentioned, were the 12, become the 12 tribes of Israel. But Jacob, who's Israel, decides the 11th son, Joseph, is kind of the apple of his eye. He's, he's the family favorite, right? He's the one that gets all the attention. He's the one that gets all the jobs. You know, you know the other... The other, ten, the first ten, I don't know, yeah, probably the other eleven, they've got to go muck out the stalls. I mean, I'm not even going to go there, but I grew up on farms, and it's not a pretty picture. And Joseph, he's out, and he's having dreams, and he's having a good life, and his father makes him this, gives him this beautiful coat of many colors that says, 
And what does that do? It makes his brothers jealous. You guys ever sit, when you were little, ever sit around, maybe Christmas morning, looking at the boxes, the presents? Whose was the biggest? I mean, if you, if you didn't grow up with a lot of brothers and sisters, maybe not, but I wanted to know that because, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect. I know it's hard to believe. I wanted to know that my, my, my gift was the best one. And, and if, if my sister got something that was better than mine, I, I was, I was kind of mad. Because, you know, I'm, I'm the oldest, and I think I'm the smartest. Sorry, Lori, if you're listening. These cycles play themselves out, and the brothers were just as jealous. Joseph doesn't have to do all the work that we do. Gets this great coat. Everybody thinks he's cool. So they're out on a traveling on this little journey, and they decide they're going to kill him. But they can't kill him, so they, they basically sell him into slavery, which is probably worse than killing him in some aspects. And he ends up as a slave in Egypt. And through this unbelievable set of circumstances, somehow, through also the deceit of people in the same story, through um, all, you know, the, the possibility he's in prison, all these things happen, and all of a sudden, he finds himself as second in control of all of Egypt. Second only to Pharaoh, who his family line had been lying to about, you know, their wives being sisters. And now... Now, somehow, miraculously, he's second in charge. And it says in, in Genesis, towards the end, that the whole region, once again, is in this great famine, and nobody has any food, and everybody is starving. And so Jacob says, you have to go down to Egypt, and you have to try to find some food. And they go down, and they go into the, 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 the court of Pharaoh, and who do they find? Their brother, Joseph. And what would you think? If you had sold your brother into slavery, what would you think? Would you think you were going to get fed? Would you think you are going to get anything good except the end of a sword? Which you probably deserved, right? Kind of like a picture of the gospel, isn't it? And that's kind of where we find ourselves in the middle of this dysfunction, in the middle of this very large family, this family members that God wants to use to bless the world. And they're taking multiple wives and they're stealing each other's birthrights. And, and do you realize that stealing the birthright included, the birthright included being a part of the messianic line? I mean, that's where Jesus traces his lineage to. They're selling each other into slavery and they're plotting to murder one another. And this is the height of dysfunction. And yet, God has good things intended through the process. And here we have the great-grandchildren of Abraham who have done this heinous act to their brother. And God has transformed their evil act somehow into something good. And that's exactly the message Joseph speaks out at the end of Genesis 50. If you have your Bible, turn there to Genesis 50, because that's where we're going to kind of wrap up here in a moment. 
Genesis 50, starting in verse 19. His brothers, so Jacob has died, and they realize, they realize that they are completely under the mercy of Joseph. So they came and they threw themselves down before him, him being Joseph. And they said, we're your slaves. And Joseph says this to them. He says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. In other words, you intended to do evil to me. But God intended it for good. That same good and evil motif that's played itself out all the way through Genesis. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, Joseph says to his brothers, don't be afraid, fear not. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. And he turned the story around. God used Joseph to turn the story around. And these words conclude the story of Joseph in Genesis. But they actually summarize the whole book of Genesis. The whole Bible, really, is about this whole concept of doing good. God doesn't just do good. But in his providence, he actually responds to our evil and he works it out so that even our evil can become good. Even the bad things that we do, God can work out for good. Some of you are sitting here today and God has you here because you have a particular story. It's part of your life event. Something bad could have happened to you. You could have done something bad. I want you to know that this story tells you that though it seemed evil, God can work it for good. Do you realize how many of you who have stories that if you told those stories to your friends would unlock something in them that would free them up to get on down the road in their journey? You meant it for evil, Joseph said. God meant it for good. Even when humans do evil, God keeps turning their evil back into good and somehow He's using this family line of Abraham to restore this shalom, this peace, this goodness of his original intention. And 2,000 years later, the Gospel of Matthew begins with these words. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And 2,000 years before, God said to Abraham, I will, I will give you a land, I will make you into a people, and my presence will be with you. Jesus, as he's starting his ministry, 
is sitting in Jerusalem and a man whose name is Nicodemus comes to him under darkness of night, it says. He's one of the ruling leaders of the Jewish kind of people at that time in Jerusalem. And he's got some questions. Because he knows this story. And he knows what God told Abraham. And he knows what God promised through the prophets. And they've been waiting for this Messiah to come. And he's been watching Jesus, and he's been seeing Jesus doing things that only God could do. But yet he's fearful, because he's human. He's like Abraham. He's like us. He's like, he's like, he's like Adam and Eve in the garden. Did God you know, really say, oh... But he asked Jesus these questions. You know, how can it be? How can it be? How can it be? And Jesus says this to Nicodemus, and many of you have heard these words. It's John 3.16. He said, Nicodemus, he said, for God, for my Father, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. And you see how the story moves through the millennia, 2,000 years later, and this same story is being told now by God himself as Jesus talking to Nicodemus. The same story that is told through the ministry of Jesus. The same story that is told at the cross of Jesus. Because if we look at the cross, if we picture the cross in our minds, I mean, can't you hear these words that Joseph is speaking, that Jesus is speaking? You meant it for evil. You meant this for evil. Ah, but God meant it for good. God meant this for good. And I wanted to to die on this cross because... Because God meant it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. And he's hanging there and as in his final breath, Jesus says, you know, it is finished. It is finished. What is now being done. The saving of many lives. The saving of your life, if you act like Abraham did and simply believe. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, gosh, we look at this story of Abraham and of his unfaithfulness, and yet you're faithful in the midst of that. That all of your promises are true, and all of your promises are yes and amen. And and, and through 2,000 years, they, they journey through ups and downs and ins and outs and good and bad, and they see you work in the midst of, of, of bad things happening. Until we get to Jesus, and then we see, we see you work in the midst of a bad thing happening. If we look at it, and you know, Jesus' disciples can't even believe, really, Lord? The cross? 
and it, it, what, what, you, what was meant for evil, you worked for good. The saving of many lives, the saving of many souls. The saving of maybe even someone here today, Lord, who just needs to say nothing more, nothing less. Lord, I believe. That's it, I believe. I believe. I, I don't want to do bad. I want to do good. I want to be filled with your presence like you promised the people all along. And now your presence is the Holy Spirit. And, and that presence gives us the ability to do just that. And it simply starts with saying, I believe. That's it. I believe. So Lord, we, we give you thanks for who you are, that your promises are always yes and amen. And there for each one of us here today. In Jesus' name. Amen.